Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Bartholomew, and I wanted to take a quick second to just say thank you to my new supporters. That means so much to me. It really helps me justify spending the time on this podcast. One supporter even signed up for the $9.99 a month, a month, which is just, that's really sweet. So thank you. Thank you all. And for the story today, I'm taking us back to Louisville, my hometown, which I know the podcast has been a little Louisville heavy lately, and I'm actually about to do a three-parter that also takes place in Louisville. But I promise after that, I will get back to the rest of the state and the region. But for today, we are getting in our way back machines, and we're traveling to the 1800s to start our story, to a place with a sordid past. Now, I bet most of you, or at least most of my Louisville listeners, have been to Tom Sawyer Park, right? Or at least heard of it or driven past it. It's over off Westport Road, on your way to Anchorage, kind of. It's a nice park. I used to walk Scout over there when it was just me and Scout and no other uh, animals in my petting zoo here. Um, But it has nice trails, and I, I think I knew at one point, but I forgot that it was the site of an insane asylum. And so recently on Facebook, I saw a couple articles where people were like, holy cow, did you guys know that this happened here? And I was like, whoa, there's a lot to this. And so I figured we better cover it. And I'm talking about Lakeland Asylum. The building that would come to house Lakeland Asylum started out as something else. It was built in 1869 on land bought by the state from Isaac Height, and when it first opened, it was the State House of Reform for Juvenile Delinquents. So it was a state-run facility that housed kids between 7 and 16 years old, and these were kids that were, quote, legally committed as vagrants or on a conviction of any criminal offense less than murder. Now, on the National Register of Historic Places, the architect of Lakeland is listed as unknown. What we do know is that there was this architect who designed City Hall, and he at least consulted on one of the first additions to the building, and that's uh, John Andrew Wartha. He was originally from England. He came to Louisville in 1865. And besides City Hall, he also designed the Courier-Journal building that burned in 1979 and some of the original parts of Churchill Downs that have since been torn down or replaced. Now keep that in your back pocket. This guy at least had a hand in some addition to the building, and that was in 1874, which was a year after it first opened as Lakeland Asylum. The building itself was red brick, with arched windows. It had towers, these uh, big two identical towers, turrets, and it had long multiple-story wings that jutted out from each side of the administration building. So sort of laid out like Waverly Hills, except way prettier, like way nicer. And just kind of an unusual building, an unusual style. I'd say it's like if a Victorian home and a medieval castle had a baby, it would be Lakeland. In this time period, and I actually love this, doctors and architects kind of worked together based off this shared idea they had that it was better for patients' mental states to stay in a place 
that was aesthetically pleasing. A pretty place to live. What a thought, right? And so, instead of slamming these people into a place like Waverly, which is a little prison-like, they would add on to Lakeland, which was more like this old Victorian house. And it was nice inside, too. I mean, the pictures that I'll post, you can see, it's nice inside. They had um, private rooms that were really fancy. So, beyond that, the location was ideal, too. So, if you're not familiar, Tom Sawyer Park, where this was, it's pretty far from downtown, and back then it must have been extremely rural. Um, And it was considered a part of Anchorage, which is a beautiful town and a very wealthy town. And this area was ideal, ideal because they wanted patients to have that fresh country air, you know, without all the pollutants from the big city. And there was also the fact that if a mentally insane person escaped, they were less likely to harm as many people as they could in a more densely populated area. Or at least that was the thinking at the time. Although, by 1913, in the surrounding area, there was a water treatment facility, a power plant, post office, a train depot, a dairy farm, botanical gardens, all sorts of other facilities. So it really grew up around the asylum, which is interesting. So yeah, um, we really don't know much about where the kids went that were being kept at the reform school, or at least I couldn't find anything about it. But it transitioned over to become Lakeland Asylum, which started out by housing just 50 patients, and most of them were from that nearby town of Anchorage. It grew quickly, though, and the asylum became a sort of catch-all for people who either couldn't or shouldn't be responsible for taking care of themselves. So, the clinically insane were kept there, yes, but there were also people with neurological disorders, some with disabilities, and then there were people who were just too poor to go anywhere else, and then there were also elderly people who didn't have anyone else to care for them. Patients were racially segregated, and there were also separate wings for men and women. And they did put these people to work, Um, Like we talked about in the narcotic farm episode, there was a farm on the land shared by the asylum, and the hospital patients would work the farm, or they'd have some other kinds of chores. Uh, It also had a big entertainment hall, where they could hang out and play games and stuff. And it's all sounding kind of alright so far, isn't it? Well, hold your horses, because the public first gets wind that things might not be going so well as early as 1879, which is only a few years after it opened. And it started way back then with reports of overcrowding. Too many patients, not enough room to accommodate. And in 1895, they tried to do something about it. They added on, and then they added on again and again. Um, In 1900, the name officially changed to the Central Kentucky Asylum for the Insane. And then again in 1912, it changed to simply Central State Hospital. (music) 
The asylum underwent major renovations in the 1950s. They changed the facade of the wings that went off each side of that main administrative building. So it took on a little different look over time. What was once a single building operation had turned into a 15 building operation. And the changes that happened there weren't just structural. Of course, the way they treated the mentally ill changed over time too. Sometimes for the better, sometimes not. In fact, the early and mid 1900s were not great times for the mentally ill. Basically, they were guinea pigs for some pretty scary experimental treatments lobotomies, insulin shock treatments, electroshock convulsive therapy, etc. Now, I'm ashamed to say that I hadn't heard of insulin shock treatments before, and when I first was reading about it, I thought they were just talking about, you know, like regular shock therapy, so I, I looked it up, and oh no, my friends, it is bad. So, this was used as like a sedative or a tranquilizer, and it was to make people especially people diagnosed with schizophrenia, calm down. And not just calm down. What they would do is inject these patients with enough insulin to put them in a coma. And sometimes they would do this to a patient every day for several weeks to get them to stay calm while they underwent whatever other sort of, quote, treatment they were doing. So... Here's a quote from a publication written by a representative from the asylum in the year 1900, and I found this thanks to the ever-so-wonderful Kentucky Historical Society. Love you guys. And this guy is talking about how when visitors come to see their loved ones at the asylum for the first time, they're expecting like a wild prison with padded walls and bloodthirsty prisoners, and they're pleasantly surprised when they find that the place is kind of pretty and orderly. And so he's talking about that, and here's what he says. Quote, Let no one from a perusal of this article imagine that all patients received here are at once by some mystic means converted into docile, obedient, and tractable patients. While many are received wild and raving, but a few weeks must elapse before they can safely be taken for a walk or drive. There are not a baker's dozen who are persistently unfit for presentation. Now, interestingly, he goes on to talk about how it is a problem that they had been accepting so many what he called idiots in a place that's meant not for the mentally challenged, but the mentally insane. And guys, I'm so sorry for the wording here. It's just, it's the words that they used. And so I'm just trying to drive this home. And so... He's saying, you know, it's a shame that we're just kind of accepting everybody when this place is really meant for the mentally insane. And he's asking the state for more money. That's the point of this, so that they can hire people who can help them distinguish which patients they should actually take in from the people who need to be taken elsewhere. And he goes on to say that one of the hardest things to accept for the, quote, medical man of the time is that there was still so much they didn't understand about science and the human brain, which I think is kind of a cool thing for him to be admitting. Um, Like I said, he could be wording all this stuff better, but he does bring up some interesting points. 
And he says, you know, right now, we're not much more than just food and shelter for the criminally insane. And um, again, this is the year 1900 we're talking about, so pretty early on. Um, Anyway, according to Richard Stotman, who wrote the article, Atrocities of Lakeland Asylum and Sauerkraut Cave at Louisville's E.P. Tom Sawyer Park, in the 1940s, the hospital was hundreds of patients over capacity. And at some point, maybe even a thousand people over. So here's a quote about this from Samuel Thompson's The Village of Anchorage. Quote, In these institutions are housed 4,571 unfortunate people occupying quarters designed to accommodate no more than 3,500. People of both sexes and of all races and colors, people of high and low degree, educated and ignorant, talented and feeble-minded, farmers, merchants, musicians, artisans, engineers, lawyers, clerks, cooks, teachers, doctors, and wives of all classes of men. There were still children staying at the hospital, too, and this isn't something that was mentioned in the more recently written articles that I saw about this place, but I found the published work from the Kentucky Historical Society that I was talking about from 1900, and He's talking about the current operations at the asylum, and he mentions that they do have children as patients. So here's a kind of awful quote about that. Quote, The institution contains at present 1,250 patients of all kinds and conditions, from the child of seven years, upon whom the blight of imbecility has early fastened, to the tottering, babbling, and garrulous infant of three scores and ten, and the officials and their families, attendants and employees, swell the population to practically 1,500. So yeah, he's talking about it being too crowded, but he's also talking about the fact that they are treating young children, which is just a very scary thought. And yes, there were reports of patients being beaten and neglected by hospital employees. There are stories like the one of orderlies murdering patients by holding their heads underwater in the bathtubs until they drowned. And this isn't just a tall tale. Uh, Apparently there was a newspaper article in the Courier-Journal from 1882 talking about how a grand jury had indicted Lakeland employees for assault and citing that one in particular had drowned someone that way in a bathtub. Now, that was 1882. In 1942, a state grand jury found the asylum guilty of committing people who were neither insane nor psychotic. So these problems that they're talking about in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they continued for decades. In the 1950s, we started figuring out drugs. Uh, We certainly hadn't perfected things, but we at least sort of got a handle on sedatives and how to calm a patient down without making them overdose on insulin or destroying their brain with electricity. So that's good. And in the following decades, a patient's average stay at these mental hospitals would get shorter and shorter. So what used to be a lifetime stay only needed to be a few weeks with medical and psychological advancements. 
And then uh, Medicaid was adopted in 1965. And so that accelerated the deinstitutionalization of state-run mental hospitals, which Lakeland was. Also, in the 1960s, the Courier-Journal started calling the hospital out for its inhumane conditions and treatment of patients. So they, they were really starting to make things public. Um, in the 70s, the state of Kentucky donated 400 acres of land for the creation of E.P. Tom Sawyer State Park. Um, in 1983, the main building of the asylum was added to the National Register of Historic Places. And then just three short years after that, they moved all the patients to the new location on LaGrange Road, which is where the psychiatric hospital remains today. Unfortunately, whoever built that building did not believe in the importance of beautiful spaces for these patients. Uh, those buildings do look like prisons. Now, the original building uh, where Lakeland was was demolished in 1996, which is such a bummer. It would have made a really cool museum, and it would have made for some great paranormal investigative overnights. So I'm really sorry that it's gone. Um, so what, what is there now? Well, this is where I have to do my disclaimer. And some people were mad at me for covering the Pope Lake monster. Um, I was in no way encouraging people to get up on that trestle, and I never would. You cannot outrun that train. You don't hear the train coming when you're up there. Please don't get on the Pope Lake trestle. And while you're at it, don't ever go in to Sauerkraut Cave at Tom Sawyer. Um, you used to be allowed to. They have since said, no, you cannot go back there for safety reasons. And so, please don't. And that's my disclaimer. Um, so, yeah, there there are caves back there. Louisville is full of caves. We've got caves everywhere, which is really cool. Um, but these, these are, some of them are reinforced with brick walls and pillars. And the, the people of Lakeland Asylum did that because um, they used them. So for one thing, allegedly, female patients were taken down to one of these caves if they got pregnant while they were staying at the hospital. And according to this story, uh, these female patients would eventually come back to their rooms uh, no longer pregnant and with no baby. So there's that story. And then the other part of this is that people use the caves to try to escape. So according to one of the sources I found, quote, during the late 19th and early 20th centuries, escaped lunatics were an everyday hazard of life in Pee Wee Valley, which <laughs> Pee Wee Valley is another little town in the area. And uh, I just think that's hilarious. Um, it probably wasn't funny at the time, but... You know, you never know, walking out, strolling around town, you might run into an escaped, uh, quote, escaped lunatic. Um, but the, the not-so-funny part of this is that people who tried to escape didn't realize what they were getting into. Um, it was not an easy way out. The water could get really deep in these caves. There were some treacherous crossings, I guess you would say, with lots of sharp rocks and... Um, people drowned and of course if they tried it in the winter our winters get cold um they just wouldn't be able to make it and so 
yeah, apparently some people did die in those caves trying to escape the asylum. And it's said that there are actually a whole lot of bodies buried on the property that is now Tom Sawyer Park. According to Richard Stotman, there are two dedicated cemeteries on the property, and there could be up to 5,000 bodies total, which seems crazy high to me, but who knows? And apparently we don't have exact numbers because the records were, quote, lost, which unfortunately happens all too often in cases like this. The records were lost. I've actually walked by one of the cemeteries about a million times and never realized what it was. Um... But yeah, if you've gone by that big field, it's past the soccer fields with like one tree in the middle and it's sectioned off in a square with like an old fence. That's one of the cemeteries from Lakeland. Um, But back to Sauerkraut Cave. Uh, This is one they used as a storage facility. And we know this because when the place shut down, the locals got curious and they started playing out on the property and they found the cave and they found thousands of canned goods, including barrels of sauerkraut, hence the name. Now, there is a 15 minute long video that shows people exploring the inside of these caves and I'll link to it on the website. So that's where you can get your fix and see what all the fuss is about without putting yourself in harm's way, okay? Um, so yeah, that's, that's why it's called Sauerkraut Cave. As far as haunts go, it's got them. People have reported hearing all kinds of voices or strange mumbling on the property. People have seen apparitions. They hear music playing deep in the caves. Um, People have felt things tugging on their hair. And multiple people have reported hearing the voice of a young girl crying out mommy from down in a cave, which that's like the saddest thing ever. And then uh, one person described it this way, that walking into the entrance of the caves felt like walking into a room where they had just been in a really intense argument right before you arrived. And I think that's so interesting because I really got a similar feeling in Waverly. Um, like being in the lobby in certain areas, you just feel like you feel like you've walked into a room where something really intense just happened and like you just missed it. So I thought that was interesting. And then several people also reported that it's just a sad place. You feel the sadness, which is That's what I felt the most while I was at Waverly. Now, some of the information I used for this episode was from an article written by Jessica McCarran, which I will link to on the website. And that was cool because her mom was apparently a nurse there in the 70s. And she said that when they pulled up to the site where the hospital used to sit, she could feel her mom shudder in the passenger seat. So... Apparently not a great place to be a nurse either, as you could probably imagine. Now, one more thing. Um, Remember at the top of the episode how I mentioned the architect who helped 
work on the first additions to the building, he was the same guy who helped design parts of Churchill Downs, the original Churchill Downs. Well, coincidentally, there was this other guy, a man named Joseph Dominique Valdez. Uh, He wasn't even born when the asylum was built, but he ended up working for the firm that helped either build part of the asylum or renovate part of it. I'm sort of unclear on that. But anyway, he knew about this building because he was working for the company that helped build it or work on it. And to be clear, I think it was a pretty well-known building in general just because of how elaborate it was. And it was, you know, kind of out in the East End. It was unique. So this Mr. Baldas, he grows up and he starts working for this firm and he lands a job on the project Churchill Downs. When the track was originally built, the seating was on the backstretch, where as a spectator, you would be looking right into the sun. And at some point, somebody thought, you know, this was not a great plan. This doesn't make a lot of sense. And so Valdez was hired to fix this problem, redesign the thing, build a new structure with a new design and better stands. And so that's what he did. And that was a big deal in its own right. People loved the new structure, but the icing on the cake was the iconic twin spires that he added to the design. We're a little unclear on whether someone asked him to include them or he just added them on his own, but a lot of people believe that it was his idea and that the inspiration for the twin spires came from Lakeland Asylum. Uh, The problem is we just don't know for sure. Uh, No one ever asked him, and he never said one way or another that we know of. But it's kind of fun to think that that's the case, isn't it? I mean, it kind of gives Churchill Downs a dark twist beyond the Kentucky Derby being decadent and depraved. So that is, that's the gist of Lakeland Asylum. That's, that's the dirt. So that's going to do it for this episode of Kentucky History and Haunts. If you have a topic suggestion, I'd love to hear it. Or if I need to make a correction, just send me an email, kyhistoryhaunts at gmail.com. If you have a story about going into those caves before they were closed to the public, let me know. I need to hear about those experiences. But again, please don't go now. It is closed to the public for safety reasons. Enjoy the rest of your week, and until next time.